Hello, thank you for tuning in. This is Love What I Love, a podcast where we beg our friends to love something we do, whether it be a movie, TV show, or anything in between. We're your hosts, Andy and Dan, and this week we're talking about Baby's Day Out. So I'm sure as you heard in that intro, Masha is not with us today, and instead we have a special guest. We have my good friend Dan Offner. He's someone I've known since back in the day, and he is also the host of his own podcast called Offner Offbeat. Offner, why don't you tell us something about yourself? All right. Yeah, man. Um, no, I appreciate that. And um, also, I've uh, been doing a radio show, and um, yeah, everybody should check that out. But yes, Offner Offbeat, it's going to be coming out um, later this month with a few new podcasts and stuff of that nature yeah so uh i just uh like to interview people particularly musicians it's always been a passion of mine to talk to people who have a passion for music like i do who are very talented and play music um you know really well i don't i don't happen to think that i am like you know any sort of musician so yeah but you're you may not be a musician but i mean at least from all the years i've known you we've been chatting debating sharing music i I know you're a big lover of it so i I can't you don't need to play it to be able to uh, people people tell me i come up with good questions so i never stopped if if people didn't keep telling me yo that's a good question if it wasn't for like that sort of emphasis and that kind of like motivation I'd probably have stopped a long time ago, but like it's the fact that the people that I'm interviewing actually take the time and appreciate it and are like, yo, that's that's really good. I, I mean, I appreciate the fact that they appreciate it. And um, yeah, so it's it's like a mutual love for, for music and yeah, much respect. And I'm uh, and speaking on the topic, much respect to this podcast. Love what I love. You know what I mean? You guys have a passion for film. Um, in that same regard and you guys take the time and talk about it and I fucking really respect the hell out of that and I gotta stop cursing <laughs> appreciate it dude no um, I, I gotta yeah, stop so cursing. Yeah, we'll, 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 we'll link up uh, your podcast at the end of the show and we'll give one more shout out at the very end but we should no longer delay the fact that we are here yes I invited you to be on our show and yes. I told you you can pick a movie yes and uh, so you chose Baby's Day Out and we're gonna let you shoot away with your intro so oftener why don't you dive away so for my movie, I'm going to pick Baby's Day Out. It was released in 1994. It was written by John Hughes, and it was directed by Patrick Reed Johnson, who um, I'm going to get into a little bit um, in a little while, starring Joe Montana, Joe Pantliano, and Brian Haley. Budget of about $48 million. Uh, I'm going to interrupt you oftener. I believe it's also starring a baby. I would like to know the baby's name. Oh, you'd like to know the baby's name. I mean, he's, he's, he's the titular baby. Unless Joey Pants played the baby and I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> so it was actually twins. It was. Um, I knew it. I was actually curious how many babies it was. Yeah, it was I know whenever you make movies, yeah, yeah, you so need a lot of babies. Yeah, yeah. Um, so their names were Adam and Jacob Wharton. Yeah. Um, I don't really. They've never actually done anything outside of this movie, um, in the future or after or anything like that. How a star has fallen. Okay, <laughs> I mean, you know what? It's it's got to be hard to be a child actor, and I'm glad they they got out of it before they started. You know what I mean? They just got their checks and bounced. All right, yeah, the parents fucking got those checks and bounced. I don't think they saw a dime of that shit. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> yeah, poor all kids. right, continue. No, they they haven't been in any other films, but they they played the baby pretty role pr- pretty well, and um, 
most of the film, you know, nobody was actually in danger. Uh, it was all shot um, on a lot. So, uh, mo- or at least um, a, a large percentage of the film's more, uh, you know, in-depth scenes were shot on on lot at least oh yeah i could um, imagine yeah yeah um, uh, i didn't i didn't actually ever fear that this baby or these people were getting well there was a there was a, there, there were some scenes that were shot in in chicago apparently so this this whole movie does take place in chicago surprisingly you know this this little town in chicago you know this it looks like a little town in in uh you know the middle of who knows where you know what i mean it could yeah. be any city i mean you know it could have been milwaukee or who who knows where where you know yeah. um john hughes obviously likes to d- film things in illinois oh yeah um i think that's like his thing so you know the sherman, oper- sherman illinois yeah well so that doesn't as we know from jay and silent bob <laughs> that that place does not exist jersey's pretty far from McHenry. may i ask what brought you here some fuck named john hughes 16 candles, John Hughes? You know that guy, too? That fucking guy. Made this flick, 16 candles. Not bad. There's tits in it, but no bush. But Ebert over here don't give a shit about that kind of thing. Because he's, like, all in love with this John Hughes guy. Goes out and rents, like, every one of his movies. Fucking Breakfast Club. Where all these stupid kids actually show up for detention. Fucking weird science. Where this babe wants to take her gear off and get down. But, oh, no, she don't, because it's a PG movie. And then Pretty in Pink, which I can't even watch with this tubby bitch anymore. Because every time we get to the part where the redhead hooks up with her dream guy, he starts sobbing like a little bitch with a skinned knee and shit. And there's nothing worse than watching a fucking fat man weep. What exactly brought you to Illinois? See, all these movies take place in this small town called Shermer in Illinois, where all the honeys are top shelf, but all the dudes are whiny pussies. Except for Judd Nelson, he was fucking harsh. But best of all, there is no one dealing, man. Then it hits me. We could live like fat rats if we were the Blunt Connection in Sherman, Illinois. So we collected some money we owed and caught a bus. But you know what the fuck we found out when we got there? There is no Shermer in Illinois. Movies are fucking bullshit. So um, it's it's funny that that um, you know all his movies are in Illinois and yeah. So uh, this place does exist though. But I will say it is a little bit surprisingly diversity-free. I, I didn't really care for that so much. I was like, you know, this city, this is a city, right? You know, there's the a nineties, baby. It's it was... of Friends and Seinfeld. <laughs> exactly. So, 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 you know, there was also kept that their, aspect. Kept their cities white. It was, it was, it was, it was a different time. <laughs> so, um, this... I feel like I interrupted you earlier. What did you say the budget was on this, and how much did it make? I'm curious. Um, so the budget was forty-eight million. Uh, the gross though was only thirty million, so ah. so it didn't make what it cost. The forty-eight million that it budgeted was close. It was rounded to fifty million by Fox, and it also included a script for the upcoming Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street remake. I remember that. Yeah, which was the last sort of hurrah uh, for John Hughes in Mat- that era. Matilda was in that, right? Mara Ma- Wilson? Matil- yeah. The girl who played Matilda yeah, was yeah. in it. Yeah, and um, <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I, I for- honestly forgot the actress's name, but um, along with this was the horrible, horrible, horrible um, script that came, that became Ho- Home Alone 3. Uh, wait, yeah. what do you mean well, along with this? What does that mean? Uh, I was, was, oh, in that deal they made? In the deal that Fox, it, it. Fox made, they got this movie and two others. 
So it's interesting that thanks to this sort of dealing and, and you know, so, somewhat that, that they actually wound up making some kind of, you know, agreement where they got like three movies out of the guy before he wanted to like finally call it quits. Oh, yeah, I believe it. I actually, yeah, I didn't know who made this movie uh, when we started because I knew, so I just saw it was on Disney+. Plus. So I just, I knew it was like kind of a kid's movie, so I assumed it was Disney, but then I started it and realized it was Fox, and that was just part of their acquisition. So here comes the fun part. I wanted to surprise you with this Here comes the fun cooker? The fun cooker. Here comes the fun cooker! So the director. So he actually directed another film at that time, around the same time, called Angus. It was another unappreciated 90s coming-of-age movie. I never heard of it. It's a kind of a 90s sort of uh, underground gem, so to speak. Like if you were a kid in the 90s, you may or may not have seen it. But it's about like this dorky kid who goes to um, school, basically a nerd, and he's picked on all the time and he's because he's fat and all this other stuff. And basically he winds up uh, going out with the uh, prom queen or whoever. Yeah, I don't want to say prom because they were far too young to be in, at, at a prom. But he winds up going with the, the, the queen of the dance or whatever, and he's, he's dancing with one of the most popular girls at the end of the movie. So it's very cute coming-of-age story. Not, not to spoil any movies or anything like that. I didn't mean to uh, ruin it for anybody out there. It's, it's kind of just a cutesy movie. Now, here's the cool part. This is, this is the part I really wanted to surprise you with. So this, the director, his name, Patrick Reed Johnson. Patrick Johnson, mm-hmm. right? He got to start in miniature construction and visual effects. All right. He started by watching the movie 2001 Space Odyssey. So in 1968 when it first came out, and it motivated him to like start making these movies as a kid. Nice. Not just movies, but also like the miniature constructive, uh, miniature construction. So he did miniatures and effects on Bill and Ted, American Tale, and even did uh, 2010, uh, the year we make Contact which, you know, was the sequel to 2001. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, quite as good. But um, the fact that this guy, you know, really got into the miniatures. Either way, that's so cool because that's like, that's got to be a dream come true. Even if the sequel's not as good. That like, if actually. If your wait, inspiration was 2001 and you got to work on 2010. Andy, I got, I, got, I got news for you. That wasn't even his dream come true. Nah. The dream came true. It did. Uh-huh. All right. He was the first person, one of the first people, to be shown an unfinished preview of Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, when oh, it came word. out in 1977. Nice. Apart from the people that worked on the film, he's the only person to have seen one of the unfinished previews That's pretty in the cool. beginning. So he recently just, it actually, he started writing it, um, a script based on his experience as a kid growing up like a, like a, a super nerd, basically. Mm-hmm. So like he wrote about his super fandom in uh, into a script and he started working on it in 2017 i don't know what happened i mean i know covid obviously put a kibosh on some of it i'm sure it delayed it at least you know another year but it's been since 2017 you know nice um but it came out last year or, or no it came out this year my mistake and it's actually called 52577 and it's actually an autobiographical telling of of basically how that all came about oh very cool i want to see that i actually after after um watching the trailer for it i'm i'm really excited to, to and look forward to watching that myself nice yeah love all these facts you got for us i love i, mean, I got tons of questions about this crazy ass movie but before we go too in the weeds on the making of it what do you remember about your personal experience with this movie and like the first time you saw it if you even remember or at least why what it meant to you and why you kind of picked it 
Uh, it's one of my favorite memories growing up as a kid. This this movie is really just one of my favorite things looking back. My parents showed me a number of times this movie. I I, de- I demanded it as much as the baby demands for his book in the movie. <laughs> um, I, I, I very much tortured my parents with this movie, I'm sure, at a certain point. But today I consider it more of a guilty pleasure that I still enjoy so yeah. many years later. Um, it's a little bit weird that I enjoy it so many years later, I'm sure, but it's sort of one of those things where it's just like I look back and I'm just like, you know, I have fond memories of that. It, it's also it's also just a, a, a solid film. The script, the writing, the uh, wordplay, the, the one-liners, I, I, I just really enjoyed. There's a lot of slapstick in it as well. Believe me, it's not complex by any means. It's some of it's campy, and, but you know that's actually the reason why I actually enjoy it so much, and and one of the reasons that I love this film. I, I don't want to say I could recite it word for word, but I, I I know a lot of I know a lot of, like I am Mister Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How good of you to be here today. I I can't I can't do too much of it, but but um because I, I can't I can't remember everything he said, but um off the top of my head right now. I but mean, I just like in the, the hot seat. I just like to pretend it's Fat Tony the whole time from Simpsons. It just makes me giggle on the inside, and I pretend Fat Tony's doing all these crimes. Uh, sorry, sorry, no dumping in the lake. Fine, I will put my yard trimmings in a car compactor. Uh, Chief, I think there was a dead body in there. I thought that too, until he said yard trimmings. You gotta learn to listen, Lou. John Hughes wrote and produced it as we discussed, which is why it kinda comes off so timeless. In my opinion, yes, it is a 90s film. And yes, there are certain things that make it surrounded by the 90s, like there is no CGI, there's no, um, you know, we, we, we didn't have the technology back then, but, you know, it, it still managed to work, in my opinion. If there was CGI and that type of technology, I think it would have made some things a little bit more convincing, a little bit more scary, um, so to speak. But at the same time, you know, there's enough uh, there's enough there to work with. There really was. Yeah, and it's, at, it's at the end of the era of practical effects yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. So, Andy Mavra, mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about your history with this film. So I have actually seen this before, but I haven't seen it since I would say 1997. So I, I, even though technically yeah, it's, I've seen it before, I didn't remember anything other than the gorilla. You know, I was, I was seven when I saw you know, it. Everybody remembers the gorilla. So yeah, I remember the gorilla. As soon as I popped on Disney Plus, saw the gorilla, I was like, yeah, this is that movie. And I remember just people getting their asses beat. By like I remember I pretty much remember the baby Mr. Magoo in his way around town and these bumbling idiots kinda like bumping into shit. So that's, like that's I remember Yeah, I remember the I remember the skeleton of it, but I didn't remember like I didn't really even know it was like Joe Pants Joey Pants and all that stuff. Like I didn't really know who the actors were at the time. So I remember seeing it once as a kid, relatively enjoying it, and then truly not thinking about it for like twenty five years. So when you popped on when you when I said what did you want to do and you threw Baby's Day out, I was just like Sometimes you get those things from back in the day where it just throws like a flash of nostalgia over you where all of a sudden I was like, I've seen, like, I never think about Baby's Day Out. You said those words and I was like, that fucking gorilla and the guy biting his fingernails. I just remember, I don't eat parts of my body sticking with me. That's such a weird line and at seven years old to hear that. Oh my God, me too. I don't eat pieces of my body. I never, no, no, for sure. I don't think I ever thought of my nails as pieces of my body before that and I remember... That's like three things stuck with me in this movie: the gorillas, the pieces of nails. Oh, and I never swallowed. I never Magoo swallowed a fingernail or anything ever again, um, ever again after that movie. 
But uh, I just, yeah, for some reason that stuck out with me. But other than that, that's pretty much it. So I, I came into this pretty blind, only remembering fingernails, gorillas, and a baby. <laughs> but uh, fuck it, let's uh, let's just dive right into this one. I would say normally, you know, we'd pop into a non-spoiler section and then divert into spoilers. This is not a movie where spoilers are something you got to worry about. So let's just talk about the whole thing and not worry about kind of d- divvying this one up. So right, let's dive sure. on in. So let's just start with, um, we got Baby Bink. They say for a brief second in the beginning of the film, they actually give his name. It's actually Bennington. Bennington? They never say it after the first moment in the very beginning of the film. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Bennington's such like a a rich baby name. It is. It's um, Um, Lord Bennington. So when we started this, I was watching those credits. I didn't even know. I know you've already talked about the John Hughes aspect of it. I didn't even know this was John Hughes. But it really made a lot of things make sense to me as we were watching this movie. Oh, for sure. Only because I did a bunch of Home Alone research last Christmas when we did our Home Alone episode. So I know the post-1990 John Hughes isn't quite as celebrated as the 1980s John Hughes. Oh, for sure. So it was interesting to kind of see where this falls right in the middle of the 90s. So yeah, we got we got this baby bink. We got these rich family members. Uh, maybe... So first of all, this baby is like the luckiest freaking thing alive. Can we just say that? I mean, I just want to say maybe because we just did an episode on it like not that long ago, but how is this not raising Arizona right from the right from the start? Like this, like it's, oh, yeah. it's just one baby instead of like eleven, but it's still or eight or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. But I got so many vibes of raising Arizona this whole time when I was watching. I was like, you got these parents right off the top. They seem like they don't give a shit and they're neglectful and they just like. They're all about their image, but then over the course of the tale, you find out that they're actually not monsters. So there, there's uh, there's also some good acting in this. You know what I mean? Like, so Lara Flynn Boyle's in it. She plays the mom. Yeah. Yes, in the beginning, she's very aloof and kind of gives her baby to Mr. Charlie. And well, not only that, she lets the British lady raise her kid. She barely is even there. She's just worried so, about the paper. Oh, my God. The British lady happens to be the person who plays Miranda on Sex in the City. Um, she really? Yeah, she's uh, I've never Cynthia, seen Sex and Cynthia, Cynthia Nixon. So. Is that really who that was? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. If it's um, not Sarah Michelle, she's, she's, Sarah Jessica. She doesn't Michelle. actually have a British accent. <laughs> she doesn't actually. Sarah have Michelle br- Jessica Parker Geller. Sarah Michelle Geller. <laughs> no, Sarah Jessica Parker. But Sarah yeah, I didn't know that was her. Yeah. I didn't know she was a sixty. But I didn't know the dad was the bad guy from The Wedding Singer. I've never seen that guy in anything other than The Wedding Singer. Oh, really? Yeah, so I didn't know who that... I've, I saw him, I was like, it's fucking... I don't even remember his name. I don't even Something remember Gullia. the guy's... I don't, I... <laughs> Gullia, Julia, Gullia. I forget his first name. But Glenn, Glenn Gullia. Sunday's a big day, huh? I don't even know your last name. It's Gullia. Gullia. Julia's last name is going to be Gullia. Julia, Gullia. That's funny. Why is that funny? I don't know. Glenn Gulia. Yeah. That's a pretty funny Glenn one. Glenn Gulia, Glenn Russ. It's a sequel. <laughs> Stop getting us off track. All right. Yes. All right. Sorry. <laughs> I'm kidding. That was me. <laughs> so, yeah. So, this baby, he's wealthy. He's healthy. Young baby who was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. And basically, he has an adventurous spirit. And one day, he's kidnapped by this these dudes. So, when whatever of the world did rich people all get their babies' pictures in the newspaper. I seems absurd that multiple rich people get... Mo- like, they, like that it's like a regular thing. I get it once in a while. It was supposed to be, like, showing that they're, like, the rich elite, so that they're, like... Oh, I know. I'm just saying, well, in what world is, is that, like... 
You know what I mean? Like they're toity toity. They're there's they're super like uppity. So we're gonna like, remake this with like an Instagram account for their baby and be like, my baby barely broke two k followers. Yeah. You know, if we remade this, it'd be like Instagram followers. Oh my god! Instead of a picture on the they, paper, they couldn't even they couldn't even remake this. It would. My baby got canceled on Twitter already. I'm on Sex in the City. <laughs> she does. She does do a pretty good British impres- impersonation. I don't Miranda. think she's actually. I don't think she's actually British, though, Miranda. I, I love Baby Bink. Maybe she is. Baby Binker. Baby Bink. Anyway, um, yeah. So she, so she loses Baby Bink. Uh, they all lose Baby Bink. First of all, you know, the baby just wants his freedom. Sticking to what he knows. I mean, you know, for Christ's sake, he's a baby. The baby wants his freedom. The baby doesn't <laughs> want nothing. He's just a baby. Come on. He, he, was way, he was way too cognitive for a baby. He was making a lot of decisions listen, in this movie. Listen, And I was like, you're too young to make that kind of decision, baby. So what he knew. So, he doesn't so, know. so he doesn't know much, which is, which is why he stuck to his favorite children's story. <laughs> I know. I actually, I didn't hate the, the book being like, I don't even know the words. I'm not a writer, but like the... The basis? Yeah, not the basis, but like the thing that moves. It's like the it's like the skeleton. It's a shell of what's going on. It's like, yeah, we follow the book. The book follows the story. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Listen, I'm no writer. I'm a talker. I don't write. All right. So basically, <laughs> basically this baby, you know, they're going to hold him for ransom, these three small-time crooks. Their names are Eddie, Norby, and Vico. I don't know who came up with the names. They're not very good names. I don't know anybody named Norbit or Norbert or or, or Norby in personally. Which one's in Norby? Life. Norby was uh, not, was was pants. Not, Joey pants. Oh, was he? Yeah. What was the not famous guy's name? His name was Vico, Vico in the movie. Yeah, that guy. He's not. He's not Joe Montana or Joey pants. He's not Joe Montana. Uh, you know. Joe no, I'm Mont- saying like in the, in the sense of fame. Like he's not either of those guys. I mean, you know, to be fair, when I went into this, I to some degree knew who Joey pants was just because I've seen like I I wasn't like that young i mean i was young but i wasn't like so young that i couldn't appreciate the other movies that that he did had been in you know what i mean like um joey, I can't joey think, pantaloons yeah i can't I think, don't think of any of them off the top i can of only think of post movies i can think of memento and, and, and uh matrix and shit like that yeah i would i would have said um, that's, that's i mean, after this I, mean I did watch matrix at an early age so that was definitely yeah yeah. all right so often normally masha has the displeasure of me sitting here and picking up nits being a nitpicker on some of this logic, so I'm gonna be, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit you some with some of this just to be an asshole. Okay. So these guys are some broke ass criminals who live in this shit apartment and like they have no money. Where how they get the money to to get all this photography equipment, to get to get this van wrapped in photography logos and stuff? I'm estimating that nice, at a twenty. Yeah. I'm set, I'm set, estimating that at a twenty to thirty grand investment just to steal this baby. You, you gotta you gotta rewatch from the very beginning. It's a very quick scene. Oh, the very I missed beginning. it. I missed the it. The very beginning of the film, they beat up three guys and they tie them up to chairs and leave them in a warehouse real fast. All in right. the very beginning. You got me. Guess guess who one of those guys is? Who's that? Alfred Molina. Is it really? Yeah. That's funny. I did not recognize him at all. Nobody does. All right, you caught me. I was eating breakfast while I watched this movie, and I might have been looking away for a moment. <laughs> uh, yeah, you got me. <laughs> no, you got me. Good God. No, it's the opposite. <laughs> I just I tried to get you, and you got your journalism. <laughs> I was sitting here, because I work in production, so like I know what it takes to set up a photography setup. So I'm like, those lights alone right there, that's like 10K. Oh, for sure. I'm like, that camera's a couple of K. Getting a van wrapped, I have a business. I've wrapped a van. I know how much that costs. I'm just like, this is... So in the very beginning... Like, they, they, they just didn't do that. They, they, beat, <laughs> they beat up these guys in these fuzzy blue and pink sweatshirts. Yeah, yeah. And, and they even say it in the very beginning. They're like, which one of us should wear the blue and which one of us should wear the pink? Fair they, enough. 
it, it's like freaking frack. They keep to, they keep fighting back and forth, back and forth. Like even the scene where they're testing the hot, how hot the the bottle is. That scene makes me crack up every time because he, he first of all, it makes the baby crack up too. But the way that they just slap each other around. The slaps are okay to me, but the only one that made me actually laugh is when he slaps Joey Pants and they kind of speed up the footage and his whole body flies forward and hits the ground. I got a giggle. I got a giggle out of that. I genuinely chuckled when I started when I saw um, when I saw Joe Montana fall off the roof. Wait, yeah. the fr- we're, the- we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're going, we're going too fast here. All right. I'm gonna. I have a lot when we get to our final thoughts. Okay. But just as a general idea, just so you know where I'm coming from. While I did have some giggles, a lot of it wasn't really working for me too good in terms of like laughing at this day and age of my life. For so sure. I wrote down when I did get some giggles. And I did get a giggle of Joey Pants singing Mary Had a Little Lamb, only because he pronounced the work as woik. <laughs> and when he goes, Mary went to woik one day, woik one, one day, day, it made me laugh. And then he starts, no, he went, he went, first of all, let's rewind this for a second, because he went in hard. He went in on that song hard, especially right, he's not at a, that. It's not Kendrick Lamar at he's the fucking not, VMAs. Uh, he on. went hard, <laughs> bro. If you rewatch that, you, you gotta. He started doing the fucking the fucking what are you what do you call it the dancing. <laughs> if you rewatch that, he's got bars. I'm telling you, I'm not saying bars. I'm not saying bars. Listen, listen, listen. This is not my podcast. This is your podcast. All right, uh, all right. So so we're not talking about bars here. We're talking about how hard Joey Pants went in on his Mary had a little lamb uh, he, went, he went pretty good followed her to work one day work one day work one day it followed her to work one day and mary lost a job <laughs> mary went to unemployment i was i was crying when, they, when he started saying unemployment i didn't even know what unemployment was when i was a little kid and i was just like that shit still made me laugh That's just funny. just like how hard he went in so after, uh, yeah, <laughs> no, totally. He, he um, emoted. He he put a lot of emotion. All right, we him. give Joey Pants his award for singing. He did a good job. All right, so after this is when the physical comedy starts, and yeah. it's a lot of slapstick. Yeah, I had to formulate my thoughts of why I, in my opinion, I didn't really think a lot of this worked as well as what this is is basically. It's it's a Home Alone. They're, they're just doing Home Alone again with it's, with a different coat of paint. It's it's home. It's just, it's, it's, a lot it's not like bad. There's a lot of there's tons of movies that are diehard with a different coat of paint, and I love them. So I just I just rewatched Air Force One. The movie's fucking badass, but it's hundred percent diehard with a different coat of paint. Like, oh, there's for sure. no difference. So I'm not trying to diss this movie by saying that, but you'd be lying if you said this wasn't Home Alone with a different coat of paint. Oh, for sure. It's three robbers who are kind of idiots getting hit in the nuts a lot. But so the issue I kind of had with this one is Home Alone, the first one I'm talking about. Very smartly ramped. First of all, the violence doesn't start until the last 35 minutes of the movie. And it ramps up in a gradual way where these guys start off kind of getting hit with a can or slipping on ice. And by the end, they're getting their faces blown off with a blowtorch and hitting the nuts and these kind of life-ending things. This movie, the start of the slapstick is so life-ending and ridiculous and nuts. They basically put the climax in the beginning, in my opinion, of ramping up the slapstick. Where this guy falling off this, this... fucking 300 foot building and hitting his nuts and just doing stuff that would have 100% killed a man it left me nowhere to go in my imagination later every so, time they got hurt so now does that, does that make sense it definitely so okay. here's here's my take on it these are three guys that literally will stop at nothing because they're really like not only are they down on their luck they're talking about even in the beginning they're like you want to you want to nick a brick a bracka go to jc penny 
but you want to you want a hit of a lifetime. You know what I mean? They're these are hard time crooks. These are guys who have done jobs before. I feel you. I know I wasn't meaning from a story perspective. I meant from a writing. perspective. Oh no, for sure. If I was writing the script, I wouldn't start with that big of a fall. Oh, for sure. Without any falls preceding. For it. sure, that fall was. So that's just my opinion. Where I was like, eh, it's a little derivative of Home Alone. To be fair, to be fair, that that fall, I feel like Joe Montana really took it like a champ. As opposed to the rest of them, like, because he definitely started off with his character getting hit the most right off the bat. And, like, I don't think he he knew right away that he would be the first one to get, like, just thrown off a roof. But, I mean, I don't think any of them were expecting to get thrown off roofs. They were chasing a baby. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I, I mean, genuinely, the characters definitely didn't see it coming, but... Just the way that it happens, just, you know, of course, it could happen that way. But, like, the odds of it are, like, so... First of all, like I said before, this is the luckiest baby in the world also, if you think of it that way. Because the fact that we have to talk about the whole gorilla thing before... I know I'm going ahead a little bit, but the fact that we even mentioned that before... A baby and a gorilla? Come on, man. A, a gorilla, if it saw a live baby... It would rip it in half. It would it would be uh, gruesome. Everybody would do. It would be the most disturbing thing that that anybody at that zoo has ever seen in their lives. Everybody would be scarred for life. Well, yeah, but we're, yeah, I, know. I don't. I don't think anyone argues that this movie is trying to be realistic. I think it's like you know. What I mean, it's, it's not it's, trying to be realistic no. at all. <laughs> if, if that's what you're signing up for, you guys, you dialed the that's, wrong number, that, my friend. Exactly, exactly. Like, but you have so, 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 so to 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 that point, you have to kind of understand that this is cartoonish in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is ridiculous. So but, yeah, t- I'm kind of. But I'm, the cat mouse sort of thing with the baby and the robbers, the bit the the mouse always wins, man. It's it's always like you know what I mean. If you ain't putting money on Jerry, bro, you got the wrong horse. <laughs> Sorry, man. Sorry, man. But how many times has Tom cat that caught that mouse? I feel you. Yeah. I feel you. Or 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 Sylvester caught the bird. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you know. But I think that's kind of where this lost me a little, um, to be honest. I just think, again, once we establish this whole physical a- comedy aspect of them getting hurt by the baby, I do think it starts a little too early in the runtime. By the end, I felt like we were beating a dead horse. By the time we were on the construction site, I did feel like I've already seen all these guys get so hurt. Like, so hurt. Yeah. Where then it no longer mattered that they were still getting hurt because it just kept happening over and over again, which is where I think makes Home Alone such a gem. And I know we're not doing a comparison podcast. I'm kind right, of being right. a dick by doing it. But it's the same writer. So I think it's important to see where his career changed after Home Al- after the success of Home Alone and trying to recreate it. I feel you. At the same time, I feel like, logically speaking, given the fact that each one of them goes through their own you know, headache, so to speak, with trying to catch the kid... It really takes them until the end before they have are just fed up. They're like, you know what? Screw this. This ain't worth it. Yeah. Anything's better than this. Like, like this kid has just put me through living hell. I don't know how three grown men go through living hell. Yeah, but, I don't know. I um, but it's 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 some of it's just so funny, man. The one-liners are like by far my favorite part. Yeah. What are some of you like? Nat uh, King Cole stuck his finger in the pie and yanked out the bird. Yeah, yeah. When they're debating about fairy tales and shit, I yeah. was, I was, I, I, was I liked a lot more of that stuff. I thought they they did have good chemistry. The three robbers, I will say that. Um, oh, for, for sure. For even though I wasn't that much a fan of the physical aspect, they did pick three guys who did 
have good on screen chemistry oh, for sure. And yeah, I, most of the giggles I got was from their mannerisms and the way they spoke, as opposed to how much penis mutilation is in this movie. <laughs> I mean, is, I mean, there's is a lot. There's a lot. There's yeah. a lot. But but there's it's... one extended scene that I thought. <laughs> was a bit gratuitous and i thought i didn't have children in the room but i was thinking eh, i got children here you know what i'm saying like this is a kid's movie i i don't so, need the crunches of gonads so when i was <laughs> so as a kid as a little kid when i watched this movie for the first time i didn't know i didn't know gonads or anything like that when they when they when they when they used that word i thought he was saying like that good. Uh, yeah 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 no because they because they do he goes i remember i remember yeah he's like put out fires on a bag of flaming gonads yeah so so um yeah i again i that word i didn't know as a kid growing up so i always thought it was something else i thought they were saying like donuts or something like that i thought it was i just made up a word that they and stuck it in there but he you know obviously he was not saying that um he was talking about his balls um which We'll we'll get into that scene later. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't really need to go chronological at all. We can just talk about certain scenes. But I just want to jump really to the gorilla scene and then the penis mutilation scene. <laughs> Those are my two big notes. Those I'm not gonna remember much about this movie in in f- six months from now. But when people ask me, I'd be like, "There's a lot of penal mutilation and there's a gorilla." <laughs> penal mutilation. Oh, it's brutal. That's man. one way of putting it. Have I you guess. ever seen Crank Two? That movie disgusted me because the amount of ball crushing that is in that movie is absurd. Well, that's tons that's, of people get their balls smashed, and yeah. it really is uncomfortable to watch. This was the closest I got to that in terms of penal mutilation <laughs> in the film. It's penal mutilation. It's rough. it's rough city, man. First of all, this guy is is a bad dude. I don't know what it is with you and Masha showing me these kids movies that are like so weird. All, have like weird turns. Let's let's, let's just get let, let me let me skip ahead a little bit and just say okay. So now we're at the scene. Now, first of all, you just skip past one of my favorite lines. Yeah, go for it. So the scene where they're trying to catch the baby in the park. There's a scene where they're trying to catch him through the tunnel, and he goes, what's at the end of every tunnel? He goes, Tobus, real (laughs) fast. And I'm just looking back at it now. It's so funny. It's It's not bad. It's not bad. It's pretty good. (laughs) Some of the, like I'm telling you, man, the liners, and the one-liners in this movie are just, some of them are so brilliant. The, The scene where they're at the department store, first of all, Joey Pant's character can't read. So when they were trying to read the book before, yeah, yeah. it was like it was like department store. Yeah, that was one of my favorite parts <laughs> growing up. And um, so then you fast forward to when they're behind the lady at the department store, and they're like they're like the behind the fat lady, and they just get yeah the lady who doesn't notice a fucking like nine pound baby in her purse. Yo, if someone added nine pounds to the purse you were carrying, oh no, it was totally unrealistic. <laughs> yeah, I know, and I know I'm being a dick, but I was just and that- also. I don't know too many heavy, too many morbidly obese women walking around in moo-moos or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. First of all, that was really like a weird kind of dress to, to be putting on, you know. Anyway, having said that, the whole sequence where they're like, they're like, give her a sandwich. She doesn't look at her. She doesn't need a sandwich. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like, it was funny that she heard it. Like, that, that's what made me laugh. When she was give him a up. sandwich, yeah, yeah. huh? <laughs> at but, the, when she beats the crap out of them. Give him a sandwich, huh? Yeah. Yo, her, her lack of awareness of the baby and the whole city's general lack of awareness. The amount of times this baby is like, at, yo, when the news, the baby's at a news reporter's feet. And it starts tugging at her leg, and she drops her microphone and doesn't look down. Like, you would feel a baby crawling on your feet. Oh, so, I love that scene. The, the whole city, the baby's going through fucking revolving doors. Nobody's looking down. 
I was like, and the only people that are looking up at that moment were the robbers, which which they finally had a, an opportunity to capitalize, and they still fucked it up. So that just goes to show you how three stooges like they are. Oh, I mean, yeah, you're not you're not hoping that they're going. These idiots. So it's just, so it's, it's just one so, nut shot so after another. In in my opinion, it was more like three stooges versus like you know Home Alone. So it's like it, I would say it's Home Alone. And raising Arizona and the show Owl My Balls from Idiocracy. <laughs> Owl My Balls. <laughs> That's what I would call it. You're going to get in the balls. Yo, Andy Marvel really doesn't like that nutshot aspect, so well, let's, let's fast forward a little bit. Well, hang on. We gotta, let's talk about this gorilla. All right. I, I got to say, I find it to be oddly paced. I think they hang on this gorilla thing for a really long time, and I think if you're trying to get kids involved, it needs to be a little faster paced. I, I mean, yeah. The gorilla sequence, though. It, it went on for a long time. It did. But I, I, I said, I think, is this a third of the fucking movie? That but, like, the, the whole part of where the gorilla's, like, just screaming in his face, and he's just, like, screaming at the same time, and you just zoom in on the gorilla's throat as it's, like wailing at him it was just really i thought that was just good cinematography i thought that was you know what i mean that was just that was somebody being like you know what man let let me let me sell this stuff you know what i mean this this is my opportunity to make it like make this a truly great so let me like let me really get in on this gorilla right now fair enough <laughs> <laughs> and by the way uh fun fact the gorilla suit that was used in this because again we we spoke about this if we had cgi back then Probably would have been. I a have different... no idea what you're going to say, but can I guess? What is it? The gorilla from George of the Jungle suit? Incorrect. But Damn. You're not far. All you're right. not far. You're not far. Um, so this was the same gorilla suit that was used to play Digit in the Gorillas in the Mist movie. Ah, uh, okay. I know that, but I never saw it. But I know that movie. And um, I watched a lot of George of the Jungle as a kid, and I was getting vibes of his friend. I don't remember his name, but he had a monkey. He had a gorilla friend. Word. And so uh, Rick Baker created the animatronic effects. Nice. Look at that. Yep, I didn't know they got Baker involved. Yeah, so um, love Baker. So that was that was some some little nifty facts about this. Nice. <sighs> Sorry, I know it's, I don't want it to sound like I'm just being way too harsh on this movie, but I have to be honest with my Penal mutilation. But, but I have to be honest with like my feelings on it and stuff like that. I gotta say, and again, just Home Alone's so good. So when I watch well, this, what are your feelings on penal mutilation? All I, there's there's less penal. <laughs> there's some you know there's a BB gun to the balls. I don't mind like hey, someone getting hit in the balls is funny. I'm just saying they dwell on it in this movie. It's like a lot. But we're not talking about that. So this movie did try to have like a dramatic hook on it. on it, And like I, I was just uh, saying before you said penal mutilation was Home Alone. Got to compare him again. Very similar. As silly and over the top as that movie is, I do think Kevin's mom and how worried she is for Kevin actually sells me. To the point where I have to wipe a tear away in my eye at the end of Home Alone when he sees his mom at the end. And I, I, I could just tell they were trying to recreate that with the mom in this. And I'm sorry, I didn't really buy it. I didn't think there was enough time spent on the mom for me to really, really buy how sad she was that her baby was gone. And I think, sure. I think the scene with the family, the poor family with the seven kids yeah, yeah, yeah. felt a little out of place in how silly this movie is. Like, oh, this sure. movie is such a cartoon, and then that was, like, trying to be, like, oh, we're a legitimate drama, and I didn't really buy I, it. I definitely personally didn't buy it. I definitely feel like Lara Flynn Boyle was also overacting a little bit, too. Yeah. She's not a bad actress, but... No, I'm not... Yeah, I think the character's 
the writing of the character is worse than her. I don't think she's bad. But but I also think the the writing of the character isn't terrible. I just think that that scene made it seem like the character's more human and cares a little too much when, in fact, they're, like, trying to be rich hoity-toity parents. And they probably, as much as they give a, a crap about losing their son, are, you know, as and as worried as they are, they're probably just like, we'll let the police do it. I feel like that was the original intent of the character, was them to be rich and kind of aloof. But by the end, they learn that they need, they love their baby. I mean, it's, it's again, it's the Arizona family and, and raising Arizona. They're the same way where or, in the beginning... Or any, or any in the John beginning. Hughes family, man, they yeah. they they have to have that oh moment where we're we're getting back together. Well, as I'm saying, is that the specific trope of like a rich family who on the top it looks like they only care about status and their image and they don't care about their baby, but then by the end of the movie you realize, oh, Nathan Arizona does actually care about his family. The movie kind of proves it. This movie does that, but I just don't think it's that successful or earned. I think if the scene is there, I just don't feel the heart. Does right. that make sense? Yeah, so I'm no. not saying they don't do it. By the end, Lara Flynn Boyle goes, oh, my, like you, you see her and her husband actually care about their baby. But personally, as someone watching the movie, I didn't buy it. For I think sure. they needed more scenes of them and uh, maybe yeah. maybe a little bit better written in order for me to be on the bo- on board. For sure. And I do feel like in that sense, you know, um, this is like an hour and a half movie too. So believe me, it was very short too in that sense. So I feel like they could have built on a lot of things. Yeah. Having said that, I, I still think the movie is good the way it is just because, yes, you could have added more to the characters. You could have added more depth. You could have added uh, Lara Flynn Boyle's, you know, whole day spent looking for this kid or whatever. Um, she could have been in a car with John Candy talking polka. It was crazy. You know, I, I mean, that's true. would have been great. But, um, <laughs> no, and, and then you have, you know, Cynthia Nixon playing the concerned nanny character who's able to piece it together to the book. Uh, that to me was was a little extreme more so than the fact that the baby was able to recreate this book in, yeah. in real life i think that the you nanny, needed something though like, i needed... feel like the nanny being able to be like oh i figured it out well, well, well we, all right, i'm just gonna jump ahead because the plot doesn't really matter in this movie I, I was able to buy that the baby was like oh the park i recognize the park oh like a bus the i'll bus. get on the bus but then she goes i know where he is He's had a like a veteran's home for army, like an old folks' home for army veterans. I'm like, wait a minute. There's no way the baby recognized the fucking army veteran. Now building. hold up, hold up, Andy <laughs> Mavra. We're talking about now. This is where I had to do my research. Chicago. We're talking about Chicago. Yeah. This is actually a landmark in Chicago. Um, so, oh, no, so I the f- baby being able to find this is like you know finding the Statue of Liberty in New York. I'm more. I don't think so. I think the Statue of Liberty is way more recognizable than a building. Well, of course, it's more recognizable, but I'm just saying if you had the picture. We're talking the cognitive ability of less than a one year old. The cognitive ability of a a child who's staring at a book all the time is not going to even go out of the house to do do this great adventure. And I love how the cops. This is completely unrealistic. Bought the nanny's shit right away too like the cops like she's like i know where he is the baby's going to the old folks home on smith and third or whatever and they're like get the whole squad down there a lot of them would be like yeah. Wait a minute, the, you know where the baby's going i'll be like lady sorry i'm being a dick no um, no no that's okay i mean listen i happen to like the old folks home scene that was one of my favorites that was very heartwarming that was like oh it's nice yeah, total sweet. total john hughes yeah. moment you know where where he's just i don't i don't know I, I very much enjoyed the the old war veterans singing this is the army mr brown because it was cute yeah, if, it was if cute. a ba- if a baby walked into to a room full of old folk 
They're gonna they're gonna be like, oh, cute a baby. Let's sing to it. I know. I'm it's... just putting myself in the room. If a British nanny said, "I know where the baby's going to the veterans' hospital," I would be like, "Lady, the baby's eight months years old. I don't know. I don't think I don't think you know how babies think." <laughs> but anyway, I mean, for sure. No, listen again. Take reality out of the equation because again, this is a baby that is suddenly intelligent enough to wander around the city on its own, wander into a gorilla cage, and then out of it. Yep. Um, well, that's because he made friends with the gorilla. Wa- wander wander into a construction site and then out of it. He's Mr. Magoo. He he he's he's, he's, he's Widow Magoo. He's <laughs> teeny Widow Magoo. He's he's your versus your forty three pounds. It was like you know what I mean. I don't yeah. know how big you know. He's probably wasn't 43 that's probably fat baby All but right. it was probably like versus your like something other pounds of of versus my five foot ten uh gus and gristle you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. that that was that was joe montagna doing the the at the end i i happen to like the 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 whole construction um scene Yes, it was completely unrealistic. I was just like, does nobody work here? Like, there's nobody looking around and be like, who are you three fucking Goombas walking around this construction site acting like you work here? Like, the guy's covered in cement. Somebody being like, fuck face, get out of the cement, you know? Yeah, I mean? yeah, for real. <laughs> I know. No, 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 somebody, yeah. <laughs> it's some, like, nobody works there. Somebody should have stopped them. Like, when they got onto the elevator, they probably would have been like, Yo, how, no, you can't get on the elevator, get out of here. I know, I know, I know, but it's not, it's not that kind of movie. I know. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm fully sure. aware that I'm just, I'm being a dick for the sake of comedy. Yeah, 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 for sure. I'm no, not, no, no. I don't actually, I'm not mad at the movie for not explaining where the workers were. Um, Absolutely. All right, but uh, the only other thing I, so we've been, we've been. We have to go to the penile Exactly, we've been circling around this. So just from a comedy writing perspective, do you not feel that that fire was on his nuts way too long? It was like 140 seconds. Battery trouble. uh, it I just came to the point where I was like, to... I was like, I know what lighters do to sk- what fire does to skin. Like this guy, it was too long, man. Like I get it if he lights the nuts and then the smoke pops out and he goes ah, but like that scene was like two to three minutes. That kid burnt you right through to your skivvies, Eddie. Everybody, go to this movie. Line up penal mutilation in the park. It's got the 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 janitor from Scrubs. If you if you don't know, he plays the cop. He plays the cop. Yeah, and then. This late, this baby figures out how to start a lighter, puts it to this guy's nuts, and then holds it there for I gotta say, okay. start a stopwatch as soon as the fire you're, holds. You're giving the baby too much credit, man. I mean, it's not like he was just like playing around. And, and first of all, he gra- he accidentally grabs the lighter out of his, he knocks the lighter out of his pocket or whatever, his coat pocket or whatever. He finds it, he flicks it open. It's not like he's sitting there playing with a flame going, ooh, look, flame. No, it's not. I know. I'm talking. I'm saying, like, if you were writing this scene, it crosses a line from, hey, it's funny, my nuts are on fire, to, like, there's a scene in a movie where there's a flame held to a man's nutsack for, like, 180 seconds. I was, like... That's first, brutal, dude. Saw doesn't do that. Dude, no. I, it, Saw, like, in, like, nobody does ag- that. Again, you're taking this too realistically because I'm I'm sitting there watching Joe Montana try and struggle having a conversation with these cops because that's the funniest part. See, that I would get if the baby was, like, hitting him in the nuts and he'd be like, oh, 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 ay! But, it like, st- well, it, start- it started with the baby grabs him by the nuts. Yeah, and I'm on board with that. That's That's got some comedy. The flame to the nuts for 180 seconds. Again, I didn't time it. I'm making up 180 yeah, seconds. Yeah, yeah, we're definitely but, exaggerating here. Uh, I'm pretty close. It's it's it's, it's, it's so, long. It's, it's to the long. point where I was like, not only 
like forget ever having children again. Like it's it's to the point where the fire would have completely ev- eviscerated anything that would. I'm just saying for comedy purposes, they did it for too long. It stopped being like, haha, look at him. To me being like this poor well, man again, not <laughs> not real, car- totally cartoonish. And, and that, then the that way was the, point of it. the way his buddy stomps out his nuts, and then the fucking foley work of the crunch is too far, man. Oh. My note right here goes, "That's too far, man." I wrote that down in my notes. So I said that guy would be barfing. <laughs> he would not be able to move for weeks. Oh no, 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 for sure. He was he was done after that one. Um, I, it I wouldn't mean, just he, be like, "How's your nonads?" You know what I mean? <laughs> How's your nonads? <laughs> and, and at the end of the movie, they go, "It's not like you can ever have kids again, Eddie." It was too far for me, man. It was. I, I get the joke. It was too far. It was. It was good. It was no. It, it was, was good. It's funny. It was no. Listen, man. I think that. I'm not a big slapstick comedy person, to be perfectly honest with you. I don't, I don't care for slapstick. I'm very comedy. surprised at the choice. Yeah, no, me too. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, I would never have picked this if it wasn't for the fact that the movie was so filled with brilliant one-liners, like one after the other. The tunnel, like what's at the end of every toll booth? We already went through that, but, but you know what I mean? Like all these quick-witted like lines back and forth between. Eddie Vico and the other, and you know what I mean, like yeah. like Joey Pants is definitely steals the movie for sure. He definitely like made me crack up the most when when he gets out of the cement. He's like, "Hey Ed, we better get home before I dry." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like like the whole movie, I'm cracking up laughing because Joey Pants is just getting wailed on. They definitely are fully tapping into their cast. Without these guys, it would have been rough. Like oh, they sold sure. a lot of the stuff that would have been mad bad if if they had worse actors doing it. Oh, for sure, and then and, and they avoided doing things in this movie definitely by the fact that there is such good chemistry. They didn't have to like go too deep into like you know, oh well, how did the baby wind up at the construction site, or you know what I mean? How did he cross traffic like that, or any of the like logistics of it? Yeah, yeah, I'm not worried about all that. Yeah. All right, so I feel like we already did kind of basically talk about the ending, and it's not a very um. It's not a very surprising ending by any means. So before we move on to play a game of best worst, do you have any kind of final things or are you good? I'm good. Let's go play best worst. Okay, so the first first best worst I have is what was your favorite close call? Best best close call, best and worst close best call. Worst close call. Right off the bat, and I'm not harping on this again, but my worst call is the fire to the nuts. I just didn't buy it. It was too much. I'm not we're not getting into this again. But that's got to be my worst because it didn't seem like a close call. It seemed like it was something that would have killed a man. But moving <laughs> on. Uh, so I'd have to say worst. Best? Hmm, let me think. I actually did find it funny, Joe Montaigne jumping from the construction site on that uh, on that swing thing. And then as soon as he grabs it, everyone goes home for the day. And he's stuck up there for the whole night. I thought that that was kind of funny. Like, that was a kind of ironic. In- instead of just him being like, oh, banana peel. Like, I was actually like... <laughs> You know, like as soon as he grabs the rope to save the day, then they're just like, "All right, let's all go home." And he has to stay up there all night. Not bad. What do you got? I love the monkey. I love yeah. the gorilla. The first time I saw it, so where did where, America apparently? I don't know how it is because you know it kind of is like a slow burn, like you said before, where you actually see the the gorilla first grab the dude and just you know just break his arm, and like the first one because he's like, "You got long arms." 
years. Yeah. So so you see him go through like Joe Montaigne is clearly the brains. He's 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 essentially Eddie of the group, Ed Ed and Eddie, so yeah. to speak. You his know name what I mean? Al- his name's also Eddie. His name is also Eddie, but uh, oh yeah, I forgot. Um, but also <laughs> that's why I didn't understand what you said. You know, I was but, like, no, he is Eddie. He's not essentially Eddie. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about uh, comparing him to the cartoon, like you know, the one who would always uh, who would always plan the heist, so to speak. He was the mastermind. He was he was the brains of the operation. So his thought is always, I'm not going to get myself hurt. I'm going to let these two goons fight it fight it out and get themselves hurt. And even even when he throws one of them, you know, over the the edge at the construction site, yeah. I was like, I was like, first of all, I'm afraid of heights. Also, so the whole thing with Joey Pants, like, I totally get it. I would not want to be ever in a construct. That's like my worst nightmare. It's just like I do not do well with heights. Yeah. So what was your worst? I'm gonna have to say the the construction site, the the girder. Yeah. I don't think anything could stay on a girder. I don't think that the, I think there's an extraordinary amount of balance that comes to that too. <laughs> so I don't think it's humanly physically possible. Yes, I know that this is. I love a, how this whole episode. I say I I was like that's impossible, and you were like it's not that kind of movie, man. And now you're like girders are not possible to walk on. And like well, well <laughs> like out of everything, out of everything that's impossible in this movie, that's where you draw your line. You stand that you, you one. Fight that for one. That one was like a little because I'm terrified of heights, bro. Mm-hmm. But I don't understand how a baby would be so fearless yeah i really i really do not know even even at a, as a child would be so fearless to to the point where it could go up stories high and then back down again on on these platforms and by by near misses you know what i mean yeah and be okay it just it it, it, it baffled me a little bit but the fact that they did do it is what kind of also makes it such a great film, in my opinion. Yeah. Okay, so the next best worst I got is best worst one-liners or uh, best one-liners and worst baby speak. What is worst baby? Wait, what do you mean? Baby speak. Worst, like, baby slang that they use in the movie. Okay, what did you... I got to think about that so you can give me yours. Okay, so I would probably say the whole scene where they're like, we're at the TikTok to go to... The, we got to go back to the TikTok to get the boo-boo. Yeah, yeah. I actually thought that was... I did get a laugh out of that. Yeah? Yeah. Fuck, I'm taking that too. That's my best also. Oh, okay. I, I just... I find it funny. No, that was my worst. Oh, that was I, your worst? Yeah. Oh, all right. Never mind. I'll stand by. But okay. Go on. Okay. That was Continue. that was that was that was that was my least favorite baby speak. I think I think the the best was um you know that's actually hard. It was probably in the very beginning where where the dad is like talking to the baby and he's like, "Whoa, bye bye." Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. All right. Well, my best. I'm a, I fucking love when the cop said that line and it's one of the few genuine laughs I got. I forgot about it. It harkened back to me. It gave me a very uh, police squad naked gun vibe where. These straight-laced, like, adult police captain people say silly shit with a very straight tone, <laughs> and that's why I laughed. It was a very Leslie Nielsen-ish to me to see a police captain be like, turning around to the TikTok to get the boo-boo, and I was like, yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, where's that? I don't know. One of those fucking idiot robbers were, were goo-goo-ga-gaing throughout that thing. I don't know. One of those. <laughs> oh, and also, every time the baby would drool, man, I, I don't like drool. It grossed me out. I gagged twice in this movie. Uh, I don't like drool either. It was really gross. I mean, I figured all our best worst would be kind of baby related, so that all made perfect sense. But hang on, we're gonna have a love what I love first here, where on the love what I love hotline, we're gonna have a special audience question coming in. We're gonna read it and have a little mini discussion. This is from one of our viewers, David Simon. 
and he wants to know if we, he thinks there are any similarities between this baby and baby Herman from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Who? A lot less cigars and groping of women from the Baby's Day Out baby. I gotta say that. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's not a cartoon, for one thing. Or a 50-year-old man with, um, a, with, with a one-year-old winky. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean yeah, exactly. that would make baby. Actually, that would make a lot of sense with Baby's Day Out, because this baby is smart as fuck, so maybe it is a 50-year-old man. I've been trying to make him quit, but he just won't listen to me. What do you know, you dumb broad? You got the IQ of a rattle. You valiant? Yes. I want to talk to you about the acne murder. Hey, psst, Dal, why don't you run downstairs and get me a racing form? Oh, okay, okay, I'm going. The ladies, man, huh? My problem is I got a 50-year-old lust and a 3-year-old dinky. Yeah, must be tough. I didn't want to get into this quite yet, but there is a fun fact that I was going to is save. This, is this for gonna, beyond the credits? I was going to save it for that, but I'm not. I'm not anymore because right, we're because we're getting into it. At the actual, uh, the baby, the stunt baby used for the film was Vern Troyer. Is it really? Yeah, the stunt baby. That's fucked up. Yeah, Yo, you can't. <laughs> I don't think you can call a grown ass man a stunt baby. I think he's still a stunt man for that's, the baby. That's how. That's that's. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I, I said it that way. I, I, I want to rephrase it. I want to rephrase Rest it. Rest in peace, Vern Troyer. <laughs> that's crazy. I did not know Vern Troyer did uh, yeah, some no, of the stunts for this. That's pretty wild. Vern Troyer was the did all the stunts for the baby in the film. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So let's uh let's dive into some beyond the credits. See what happens to these guys later. All right, so here we are beyond the credits where we like to take a look at our characters and see where they end up after the credits end. So often, I know we didn't. one thing we didn't talk about was that this movie does end with a sequel setup that we obviously never got. Oh, yeah. Uh, called Baby's Trip to China, which I can only imagine would have ended up being pretty racist written in the 90s <laughs> um, by yeah. a bunch of white dudes. Yeah. Uh, he was going to fall in like... Like did I not say, did I not shit? say how how like how the lack of diversity there was in Chicago? We apparently? dodged a bullet by not getting baby trip to China. Yeah, for I sure. I think it would have been real. What a bold move to set that up for the sequel. I, too. I, yeah, that would have been really bad. Oh yes, because we were gonna send a rich white baby to China, and that's a good idea. Oh no, he fell in the sweet and sour sauce. Like it'd be like just so oh, my God. racist and stupid, like. <laughs> Like, uh oh, the chopstick factory. I'm very sorry for any Asian Americans listening. I'm not saying I would write that. I'm saying John Hughes <laughs> would write that. Send it, send the letters to his estate. I didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. We're, no, I'm kidding. I love we're, John no, Hughes. Say, I don't, say, I'm just kidding. He wrote some classics, but I'm not gonna lie, bro. They're they're yeah. The they're, guy, the they're guy white who wrote bread as hell. Fucking the what's his name in Sixteen Candles? Sixteen Candles. Ding dong. What's his name? Duck dong. Oh yeah, uh, the lo, the long duck, duck dong. dong. Yeah. yeah, yeah, long duck dong. It would be a bunch of that. You know what I mean? It would be a nightmare. <laughs> dinner appetizing food fitting neatly into interesting uh, round pie it's a quiche hmm. how do you spell well you don't spell it son you eat it <laughs> <laughs> but anyway i i feel like you did some research on this so i'm gonna go first what i think happens in beyond the credits so this is this is the sequel that i envision uh we're gonna do the thing where we make a sequel 30 years after something came okay. out so it's coming out right about now maybe 2021 oh, joe montagna He's never forgotten the events of this movie. He, this character Eddie has been has grown resentful of everything that's ever happened. He every morning he looks down at what used I to be his I, balls and what used to be his dick and just I sees a pet. Hey, <laughs> tell him I'd be on the credits. He just looks down and sees a Ken patch every single morning. 
and he's fucking fuming, man. This guy, every day he's just seething with anger. He starts giving himself tattoos just, just to ignore the pain. Eventually, he looks at his two partners. They die. Within five years, he kills them because he's like, he, especially the blind, blonde guy. He's like, you did this to me. He takes him out, strangles them, and then feeds them their tongues. Real brutal stuff. And then he waits. He just grabs binoculars, and he just watches baby Bink grow up. And he looks at everything that rich fucking baby, that privileged little piece of baby, grows up with a silver spoon, as you said, just getting everything, scholarships, daddy gets him a job, he's just living life, and then he waits, he watches him get a family, and he really waits till he's nice and happy, and then that's when our movie starts, and Eddie strikes. And I'm talking. This is like a don't breathe esque horror movie. Yeah, and this is and this is baby fang. goes trip to China. We're, no, it's not. <laughs> the baby went to China and had a great time. They're not even making that movie. <laughs> We're just that happens in between movies. This is baby Bink is like 28, 35 now, and and Eddie is like sixty, and Babies he's like he's, it's don't, he's, he's don't breathe except instead of not being able to see, he can't pee, and that's why he's pissed. <laughs> And can't that's my pee. that's my baby's day out too, where Joe Montana is a dickless killer <laughs> who just systematically <laughs> destroys the life of Baby Bink and his entire family. So I'm that's pretty. That's my sh- beyond the credits, released by Fox Searchlight, starring Casey Affleck as Baby Bink. All right, top so, that. <laughs> so I can't possibly top that because that's ridiculous. Okay, <laughs> that's just way over the top. And what the happens in Baby's Day Out Two in your mind? <laughs> in Baby's Day Out Two. Okay, so I think you're completely wrong. I want to see Joe Montana get hit in the nuts a few more times. <laughs> <laughs> He's got none left. He's got nothing down. See, there. see, but that's see that's why you disagree because <laughs> because you think he's got nothing left, but at the same time I'm like, yo, this is like a cartoon. It's like his stunt double. There's no way he really has no nuts left. I'm not saying the actor Joe Montana has no nuts. I'm saying the character Eddie. Yeah, I got you. I got you. But I'm the saying the character didn't have a stunt. I'm double. saying you're making it too realistic to go into the future and be like this nutless dude. <laughs> you, I got a good sequel going. Don't breathe three. Baby's day out too. That's, that's, that's what it's gonna be called. <laughs> If you guys couldn't tell, I watched it Don't Breathe recently, and I'm excited for the sequel. <laughs> I, see, I see that. If there were to make some second sort of film, I would definitely want to see the same three robbers, though, because if without them, it, it, there would be no chemistry. Yeah. Do I want to see Cynthia Nixon or... But Lara what happens in it? Lara Flynn Boyle in it what again? I don't got? really care. Yeah. You remember nah. Three Men and a Baby? What about Little Baby, Little Ladies Day Out? Little Ladies Day. They did Three Men and a Little Lady as the sequel. They could have did Little Ladies Day. That would have actually been cute. But you know, again, they wouldn't have had the diaper sequence. You know what I mean? That 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 stuff was funny. Which ends the front? You know what I mean? He's like, does it the does it have pockets? Well, you can't have the sequel just have the same joke, so you don't need the. Well, you're not gonna have the same jokes. You You gotta have. Well, you do need some kind of. You got it. The diaper's got to make a comeback. I mean, the no, diaper no, was no, the best not, part of the, not first the diaper, but you have to have the writing there too. You have the material that was between the three of them. That was good. Oh, that was that was that was real like good banter between the three of them. They had real connection and real real like you know like we're having right now where the, you know the back and forth. You know, it's real. It's and it fair was enough. it was right. uh, very authentic. Clearly, we want to see different sequels out of Baby's Day Out, and that's fair enough. We're different people. So, for a little bit more beyond the credits, Roger Ebert in two thousand nine wrote an essay about John Hughes. I mm-hmm. guess he must have passed around that time. He said that while he was in India, he visited the largest movie theater in Calcutta, and he asked if Star Wars was the most successful American film, mm-hmm. as it was here in the country for many many years. Yeah, he said it was Baby's Day Out. Wait, where, sorry, hang on. Where was this? This is Calcutta, India. Okay. 
Now, I know a lot of people are like, well, well it's Calcutta. You know, like, Wait, listen, man. Of course. It prompted an, uh, a remake in India. That was so, it was so popular that, that India actually made their own Baby's Day Out That's called, actually really fun. called Sisindri. Sin- Sisindri. I, I'm not sure if I'm pe- pronouncing it right, but it's, it's, uh, it's, the, it's a, a almost shot-for-shot remake. Oh, my God. I gotta, I'm, gonna go, I'm hopping on YouTube right when we're done and checking out some Sisindri because I did not know. Who would have thunk that Baby's Day Out was that popular somewhere yeah, else? That's yeah, yeah. hilarious. So it just goes to show you how how deep and, and passionate <laughs> people's love is for this film. Seriously. I mean, listen, it, it, it played in a movie theater anywhere for over a year is a feat. I don't know any too many movies that play for an entire year, yeah, let, uh, alone, let alone a year plus. They were very few in my life, and most of them were James Cameron movies. So like Titanic did. Yeah, and, right, uh, Titanic. And like, I think maybe Avatar, but like outside of that, yeah, I can't think of too many. I mean, yeah, not, in, in, I mean in, in this country, it's definitely never happened, but for, for, for a film anywhere to do that is very impressive. Yeah. So, 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 you know, kudos to John Hughes films and, and stuff like that because people really love them all around the world. Very, very cool. My final thoughts on this film. Listen, uh, do I think it's a good film by any means? Probably not. I mean, at, at realistically, would I give it five stars? Probably not. But for the fact that it has such a hold on my childhood, it has such a, a hold on me as a person, I, I feel like a lot of aspects of it definitely stuck with me even as an adult. There are times where I'll catch myself doing some some... I'll catch myself singing "Mary Had a Little Lamb" yeah. in, 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 as, <laughs> as I'm like in the shower or something, Wake and I'm one like, day. "Work one day," and and it's just it's it's just so plucky and funny and unique um, because you have these three goombas, these these three characters that are trying to catch, and and yes, you do have Fat Tony, you know what I mean? Like like as much as as much as I'd like to say that like you know Joe Montana has done. A number of things he's worked with mammoth he's done all these other things he's very talented but this film is not by any means his best film no <laughs> by any means i mean I, I'll, I'll even say i think godfather 3 is better than this oh for sure <laughs> and this, i like godfather 3 listen I, I personally i would say homicide's better yeah um i would i would recommend watching that for anybody out there who hasn't seen it Ma- mammoth movies are always are always um really really monumental but this one was particularly big he he's really good actor he's really diverse um you, you see him on criminal minds and all these other things anyway as far as a, a, an anchor goes, I think he did a good job, and I think that especially for a com- you know especially for a stupid comedy, he did a really good job, and so I did kind of pick this movie because it is a guilty pleasure, and because I know that you happen to enjoy Joey Pants every now and then, and you enjoy a good laugh for sure. And uh, I also know that you guys have done a few campy movies in the past, or at least what I'd consider campy movies in the past. Yeah. Listen, by no means is is uh, Karate Kid like the best. Oh, I didn't know you were gonna come up with the Karate Kid, dude. They, I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna bring up Big Fat Liar or something. Ooh. You came after Karate Kid. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, bro. But there's moments of campiness in that too. And I'm sorry, audience, that this is not a visual podcast because I am gonna crane kick off in it real soon. So I'm sorry <laughs> if you're not gonna be able to see. It, but it's listen, happening. man. Listen, man. 
Johnny, Johnny. I was Lo- going to let you talk, but you, you attacked one of my favorites. Oh, yeah, because Mr. Miyagi beating up a bunch of children isn't oh, campy by any means. Oh, the greatest scene oh, in come on, man. film history. There's a lot of extremes that happened in that movie that were a right, little unrealistic. Your final so. thoughts. We're not here to talk about karate kid. <laughs> the fact that he even won with, the, <laughs> with an illegal kick. You have to get back to your final <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, back to my final thoughts. Um, reason why I picked this was because I felt like it was just the right amount of camp. Yeah, you guys did Harriet the Spy and all these other movies. So I figured, you know what, man? Like, this is a movie that I love. It's family-friendly. It's enjoyable, despite the fact that we cursed all throughout this podcast. Oh, yeah, no. We, we put explicit on this podcast for a reason. We don't, oh, yeah. We're not worried about, hey, there's children here. If there's children here, it's on you. But but this film is for children. Absolutely. So I do want to express that a, a, a lot because that is who this film is aimed at and that is who this film is for first and foremost and as a kid i loved it and the fact that as an adult i'm able to go back and still appreciate the one-liners in it yes i think that some of it's stupid yes i think that there's you know the gorilla could have been done better and i think that you know the the construction site stuff was way over the top having said all of that I think it was done with grace. I think it was done with, you know, comedic timing. And it it pulled off a, a really great film. Um, so in that regard, Andy Mavra, do you love what I love? I love it. So... I dig all those points you said, and I, I, I see where you're coming from from a lot of it. I've said this on this podcast a thousand times. It's probably the thing I repeat the most, but comedy is probably one of the most subject, subjective things in the world when you're telling a story. You can never convince someone to laugh at something. Some people have certain senses of humor, and they don't match with other people, and you could find something to be brilliant and think it's the best comedy you've ever seen, and someone else just might not find it funny. It's oh, like for a, sure. It's like an emotional thing. It's not, it has nothing to do with, hey, that was well-written or not. So... The fact I'm not I'm never gonna be like oh you find it funny that's stupid like blah blah I'm just saying when I was watching it most of the physical comedy wasn't working for me and I kind of expressed it a lot earlier where I'm gonna always be comparing this to Home Alone I'm sorry it's written by the same guy and it oh, came yeah. out a couple of years after and it's really interesting with John Hughes because I don't know if this was his decision or if it was just a lot of studio involvement but to me it, it does seem like he has been chase he was chasing that 1990 Home Alone high over and over and over again throughout the 90s, where if you look at the filmography of, like, Home Alone was the biggest hit, fucking bigger than anyone ever thought, one of the biggest Christmas movies ever made, then immediately goes into production on Home Alone 2, which, while I do enjoy, does rehash a lot of Home Alone 1. He's kind of just recycling the same material. We get to this movie, while, yes, it's a different story, it's about a baby, a lot of the slapstick and the fact that it's about three bumbling robbers getting foiled by a kid every second... It's very Home Alone-esque. And then right after this, he goes into writing Home Alone 3. So and I love John Hughes. I'm not a writer. I could never write anything as good as him. It just, from a fan perspective, observing, it did seem like it was some sort of rut of kind of trying to recapture that same magic. Again, I don't know if that was him or if the studio just put buckets of money in his hands and said, please write Home Alone 10 more times. So to me, I just couldn't feel that it was just a little derivative of a movie that I love so much because Home Alone is like one of my favorite movies of all time. So it was a little bit hard for me to fall in love with this when I could just see the writing on the wall of being like, let's do it again. I bring up Three Ninjas on this podcast more than anyone's ever brought up the movie Three <laughs> Ninjas. 
Nobody likes that movie, and it's very weird. No, I love that. But I grew up loving that movie. I yeah, watched yeah. it over and over the way you described this. I watched it every week. I mean, yeah. my parents rent it, rent it, rent it. I got a little bit older. I mean, the literally the box art says this, so I'm not clever. But I literally learned that that was a studio saying, let's take the robbers from Home Alone and the Kung Fu from Ninja Turtles and mix them into one movie because those were successful. And I'm sorry, but as I see that as an adult, I just don't really see like... See, you say Ninja Turtles, but I say I say they were riding high on the Karate Kid. Eh, a little. Karate Kid was 84. Yeah, but then they also had a cartoon. They had... I they feel had, you. But, and then they had the next Karate Kid. But, eh... Sorry, that's... That's not what I point here. I'm not arguing the All merit right, of that. I feel you. I feel you. There's, there's not that much fighting in Karate Kid. There's a lot of fighting in Ninja Turtles. There's yeah, a lot yeah. of fighting in Three Ninjas. So anyway, but I can tell when it's a studio kind of just like, ooh, two, something really great happened. Let's do everything in our power to recreate that. And it always just feels a little bit to me when that happens and while this movie did have some good stuff and good actors and all that stuff it to me it just felt like fox being like we need another home alone and it just didn't it just lost the heart it loses the heart when that happens as opposed to home alone which was chris columbus going i love christmas and i haven't seen a great christmas movie in a long time so i'm gonna write the next great christmas movie and that was home alone he wasn't looking at something else and going i want to do that again so that's just kind of the vibe I was feeling from this, of it just kind of less a screenwriter really wanting to tell a story and more a studio trying to recapture a money bag that they happened to hit once already. So with that, it just it just always felt a little manufactured and less like a genuine work of like love. But I do love those actors. It was fun seeing people like the Scrubs janitor and things like that. The thing that kind of put me over the edge of just like... Like I could accept a lot of that stuff I was just mentioning, but I do find... I don't know if it's just modern kids entertainment, but I do. I just found it very slow paced in certain scenes. And I would just find, I, I know you loved it as a kid, so I'm not saying no kid would love it. To me, I would find a modern day kid trying to watch this and just being like, I don't know. I just thought they would cut a lot more. There was oh, a lot, sure. lot less cutting. Like someone would fall down and then instead of cutting to the next thing, we had to watch them like stand up. And I was just like, why are we like still holding on? We had we had better attention spans back then. Yeah, but I mean, I don't even like, <laughs> I just don't even know if it's necessary. I'm like, why do I have to watch this guy stand up if I understood that he fell on the floor and that was the joke? So it just, in terms of pacing, I'm just like, you know, like kids are, kids are dumb. They want it a little, they want it a little quick and a little fast. So having said all of that, uh, Ovner, unfortunately, no, I do not love Baby's Day Out. No problem. Yeah. No, like I said, um, I didn't think you would love it. It's not a movie that is for everybody. I thought maybe you uh, would appreciate it, at least in the respect that it is so so much similar to Home Alone. Yeah. Because it is it is that kind of like weird slapsticky kind of, you know, s- spoofy comedy. I'm not a big kind of fan, like I said before, of those comedies in general. But this was a little bit different because it had... Like Fat Tony, it had these characters that had that that kind of goombats background. Yeah, yeah. That that made it much more authentic and funny to me. I could see it playing off the success of Goodfellas too. Like we were really into Italian American shit. It was during this era. You know, it it played a lot into all of that. You know, I I can see it being like. Kind of like analyze this, you know, it was like, yeah. oh, mob stuff is good, let's make a mob comedy. You know exactly. What I mean? They yeah. were making a lot so of I, mob comedies. Elmore Leonard was making mob comedies and all sure, these other things. Sure. So so I I don't know, man, you know, it, it wasn't quite it. it was no get shorty, but it was it because like listen, man, this is not 
rocket science. There's a formula oh, for to sure. to John Hughes movies for sure. If you didn't see it from Breakfast Club, I mean, come on. But that's again, I'm not going to say I don't sit here and love Breakfast Club just because it's formulaic and stupid. No, I love Breakfast Club. I love John Hughes. Yeah, me too. But uh, again, formulaic and stupid is exactly what John Hughes is all about. So to me, that's the reason why I I personally love this movie. It's why I love this show because the whole point of this is for people to come on and show something they love and kind of like, you know, sell the case. Like you don't always get to talk about Baby's Day Out and I personally wouldn't have watched it. So just because I don't love so I love movies so much that like I just love that I know no Baby's Day Out. It's one more movie that I can kind of right. talk about if it ever comes up. So I appreciate getting a chance to see it and you showing it to me. So but before we get out of here, Offner, why don't you tell the people one more time what the name of your podcast is, where they can find you on social sure. media, how they can how they can link up with your content. Sure. Offner Offbeat is my podcast, my personal podcast coming out soon. Um, it's going to be one-on-ones and stuff like that. Um, I also got uh, the We Get Hype show uh, every Sunday on B-Box Radio in Brooklyn. We always have different guests come on and talk. That is always with my... Um, the host Ozzy Hype and uh, DJ Destiny on the ones and twos always killing it. She's been wailing, dude. Badass. Like, I, like I, I went to see her perform at the Rockaway Brewery um, the other night, which is you know it's a local place, and and it wasn't like a big party, but honestly. She had people dancing till two in the morning. She had this one dude like break dancing and stuff. At a certain point, he was like, you know, on his hands and stuff. Awesome, crushing it, crushing it. Yeah, so so um, more success to her. And I'm always out there promoting my team. So you know, love to Taj, love to Ozzy, love to Destiny. Yeah, love it. Love the loyalty. Love plugging your show. And loved having you on our show oftener. We're going to have you back. And I got to come over there on your show and we got to talk some hip hop. Yeah, we do. This is a movie show, so we kept the music talk to a minimum, but we have a lot of opinions on it, so I can't wait. Well, it's going to be nice and formatted just like this, and it's going to have good debates. I love it. Yeah. Well, all right, folks, that has been our show. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please be sure to subscribe and tell a friend. And if you have the time, please take a moment to rate and review. Every bit of feedback helps. I'm Andy. And I'm Mr. Charlie. And I hope you love what I love.